And you are listening to Pacific Street Blues here on 89.7 The River. Rick Galusha with you this Sunday morning and every Sunday morning. And with me on the telephone is a very special guest, a gentleman that I got to meet while I was down in Memphis, Tennessee. With us on the telephone this morning is Hal Lansky from the famous Lansky Brothers Clothing Store in Memphis, Tennessee. Hal, are you there? Yeah, Rick, good morning to you. It was, it was a pleasure to meet you while you and your gang were in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Y'all, y'all were partying like rock stars here. <laughs> We we gave it our best shot, but but I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, and and I got you introduced me to Bobby Whitlock, which we got to get to that later on in in our interview today. Of course, I forgot all about bringing up that. That was such a great show. It was so. awesome, really intimate. It was uh, done uh, down the street where I'm uh, talking to you from now. It was in, in this guy's uh, man cave. He had a large man cave that he could host two or three hundred people for a little concert. But it was really really intimate. So it was a it was a beautiful evening. Yeah, so so kind of what brings our interview around is that of course Lansky Brothers is associated with Elvis Presley and the entire lineage of rock music, and so you guys, not you, but I assume your father and and others have been selling clothes to pop music stars for what fifty sixty years. Well, uh, this is uh, Rick. This is our seventy first year in business. Uh, I'm the second generation. Uh, we do have uh, my daughter, Julie, third generation in the business now. So, uh, yeah, we've been doing this uh, since 1946. I tell a lot of people I'm glad that my dad was born before I was so I'd have something to do because uh, I really wasn't too uh, enthusiastic about going to school and, and studying. Yeah. So so how so Lansky Brothers, as I understand it, because there's a marker on Beale Street, was at what, the intersection of 2nd and Beale? Second and Bill, uh, yeah, my dad's uh, first store was on Bill Street. Uh, they opened up in 1946, and uh, his father, uh, my dad's father, he and his brother opened up uh, a store on, on at 126 Bill. And the only reason they got it is uh, they found out that uh, after they got it, the, the man that ran the store was murdered in the store. So I guess nobody nobody wanted the the space, so they got it. And of course, when they when they walked in that store, it was full of ladies' uh, thrift clothing, uh, ladies' resale. And of course, my dad was a very very colorful guy. He saw this stuff and he said, uh, he's oh my God, this this blank isn't me. So uh, he threw the, threw all that stuff on the street. And, uh, and there was a lot of uh, traffic on Bill Street in, in the 40s and 50s. It still is. Uh, and within a matter of you know three or four hours, all that stuff was just disappeared because everybody would pick it up. But, yeah, they started on famous Bill Street. And uh, uh, Bill Street is known throughout the world. It's uh, where W.C. Handy wrote, the, wrote the, uh, the Memphis Blues, St. Louis Blues also. Which is the first blues song ever written down and, and given to the Library of Congress. Okay, uh, thank you for that tidbit. <laughs> okay, but, but uh, uh, anyway, so um, you know, my dad, you know, Bill Street uh, was an African American street. Uh, it was uh, it was a pretty tough street. You know, they had a lot of they called juke joints, uh, pawn shops, uh, uh, tailor shops, and uh, uh, if you were if you were white, uh, you would not go on that street because uh, it was it was an African American street, and uh, it was uh, ran by a lot of uh, a lot of Jewish merchants. And uh, it was it was a, it was a rough street, and uh, uh, of course nowadays it's a cool street, but uh, uh, it, it it doesn't remind me of, of the way it was uh, in the in the fifties because uh, it was it was a it was a more bluesy street. It, it is now, but I guess I guess you know, a lot of people think Bill Street's cool today, which it is. But I guess I remember when, so so there yeah. is a difference. Well, Charlie Musselwhite. Uh, famous harmonica player in, in the blues grew up in Memphis as well and talked about being influenced by Will Shea, the uh, Memphis jug band player, and how rough and tumble uh, Memphis was back in the when Charlie was a kid, which must have been what the 30s and the 40s. Uh-huh. So, right. so, yeah, he was he's been a customer of ours for over over probably now over uh, 50 or 60 years. Uh, uh, every time he comes in a store. You know, he, he kids me how how poor he was, and uh, and uh, one one day he brought me in an alteration ticket, that, uh, pickup claim check that he, he had at his house or in his wallet and stuff. And this ticket was over 50 years old, so uh, I got that framed along with his uh, photo in, in in the store. But uh, a lot of yeah, he his Charlie, of course, I think lives out in uh, near uh, San Francisco, out in California. But he's originally from Memphis, and. Uh, uh, sorry to say, a few years ago, his mother was uh, in her 80s. Uh, uh, you know, got murdered in Memphis. So that's not a that's not a high note for our city. But uh, uh, he, he's a, he's a gr- he's great, and we're glad he came came from our city. He's 
to my, in my opinion, he's probably the greatest, uh, one of the greatest harmonica players ever. There's no question about that. He's a he's a huge figure in the blues harmonica playing. So so Beale Street, you kind of grew up in that neighborhood, then I would imagine, if your dad uh, owned the store right there. Right, right. You know, you know, it's it's um, you know, my dad. Uh, we we uh, we when when we went to school after school, we had our housekeeper. I guess you call him housekeepers today, but back then, our maid, our our, our maids. Husband brought us to the store, and uh, we we would you know after school two or three o'clock, and we we wouldn't leave till like nine and ten at night because uh, my dad said, hey, if there's business on the street, we're going to be open. And uh, we were brought up. I was actually brought up on Bill Street, although we lived a few miles away. But uh, Bill Street was, like I said, African American street. And uh, you know, I had a, a lot of friends who whose fathers were were doctors, attorneys, and I was kind of. Kind of, we were kind of looked looked down upon because uh, my dad sold uh, clothing to uh, African Americans, and uh, you know they, their dads were went to you know went to law school, medical school, and my dad just sold clothes. So, uh, you know what goes around comes around. Yeah. Um, you know my, when my dad died in 2012, uh, his um, his obituary was in the New York Times, and uh, had like two or three photos of him. Told the story about my dad. And uh, his his obituary was in probably over 200 papers uh, wow. all over the world. It was even in uh, uh, his obit was even in Saudi Arabia. And of course, uh, we're Jewish, so that's that's amazing they got in there. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we were we were kind of looked looked upon. So uh, uh, so nowadays, uh, my dad uh, is known around the world, and pro- probably their dads are probably have been buried and long forgotten. Well, you know, um, so in Omaha. The uh, uh, the Jewish community had a retail environment on 16th Street, uh-huh. and and so uh, was you had mentioned uh, kind of the Jewish people uh, having retail outlets on Beale Street, right? What what was it like growing up? Because you know we're from the north, I'm, you know Omaha's in the north, and we kind of associate the South with some issues of racism, and was there some ethnicity ethnicity? issues as well? I mean, was it tough to be a Jewish kid growing up in the 50s and 60s in Memphis? I, I really didn't see it. I really didn't see it. I mean, uh, uh, the, the black community and Jewish community, they were, they were uh, together on a lot of issues, and uh, I, I didn't feel any, any uh, anti-Semitism or anything. Uh, I know it's out there, but uh, no, we, we didn't, we didn't, uh, I, I didn't uh, experience any at all. Okay. I mean, Maybe I, I really don't know. I'm I'm sure it's out there, but I, I can't answer that, Rick, because sure. uh, I didn't really experience any of it. Good, good. Well, so the so you now uh, once again you have a store relatively close to the original location. You have two stores that I know of in Memphis, right? The one right off Beale Street, and then of course the one that probably most tourists know is the one in the Peabody Hotel. Right. Well, well, we we have four um, four um, stores in the Hotel Peabody. We we've been in the Hotel. Peabody since 1980-81. Of course, we had other stores throughout the city, but um, uh, a lot of people don't know, uh, in 1968, uh, a guy was standing on a balcony in Memphis, and he got got assassinated. This this guy is Martin Luther King, so so once he got assassinated, uh, I mean, the whole downtown area of Memphis was, uh, it was like in a downfall, and the Peabody, where we are now, is uh, is uh, been closed for seven years. Of course, uh, the Bells family, uh, a prominent family in Memphis bought the hotel for $400,000 on the courthouse steps, and uh, of course they had creativity and, and millions of dollars to get the get the hotel going back again. Uh, but um, in, when they reopened it in 1981, that's re- rejuvenated the whole downtown Memphis. Okay. And uh, our original store on Bill Street a few years ago, uh, we uh, we leased it to the um, Hard Rock Cafe. Uh, I would actually say that our Space where the Hard Rock is is probably the most historic rock and roll Hard Rock cafe uh, because you have the ghosts of Elvis, uh, Roy Orbison, Johnny Cash, BB King, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, Carl Perkins, uh, Lou Rawls, uh, the, the Jackson Five. I mean, I can go on and on. And the, uh, the people have been in that store, so uh, uh, they they really wanted that location. So uh, to, to seal the deal with the uh, real estate transaction. Uh, uh, they, I told them I would open a store on the side of it, so we're we're back on bill again. Okay. So uh, it's a lot of a lot of his, history through that building. Well, well, so let's talk about the how does how does Lansky Brothers Clothier to the Kings get connected to the King? Because that's kind of my impression. That's kind of where it all begins. Is that accurate? Right, or? Rick. Uh, 
you know, I tell the story in 1952, uh, there's a young kid looking in the window. And uh, my dad, you know, you know, most of your Jewish merchants, they were, they were hustlers. They liked to stand out on, on the, in front of the building. It's like, uh, with, you know, not with a cane, but, you know, he, he tried to bring them in the store to sell them something. So uh, he saw this little pimply-faced kid. He said, come on in, young man. Let me show you around. And this young man uh, timidly looked up. He said, Mr. Lansky, I don't have any money, but one of these days I'm going to come in and buy you out. And, and my dad said to this young man, he said, young man, don't buy me out. Just buy from me. And that's what started the relationship. This, this young man turned out to be the uh, future king of rock and roll. So that's how they, they uh, struck, struck it off. And throughout the years, uh, uh, Elvis, Elvis would come, come in all the time. He was working around the corner at the Lowe's Theater. He was an usher. And he'd come in, and you know, when he'd get paid, he'd buy a pair of pants for $1.95 or a cap for $0.50 cents or a shirt for $2. And uh, every week he, he would come in. And then one day uh, he came in, he said, Mr. Lansky, Mr. Lansky, um, I'm going to be on, uh, on a national TV show. And, uh, and my dad said, well, that's fine, Elvis, that's fine, Elvis. Um, so what, what show is it going to be? He said, the Ed Sullivan show. So uh, Elvis was, came in. My dad was showing him something. He said, he said, Mr. Lansky, I got a problem. I got a problem. He said, what's your problem, Elvis? What's your problem? I don't, I don't have any money. I don't have any money. And my dad said, Elvis, well, you do have a problem, but I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you credit. So uh, my dad gave Elvis credit at a young age. So my dad believed in Elvis, and uh, Elvis was very loyal to, to anybody that took care of him. And, uh, you know, Elvis shopped with us all the way to, the, all, all the, way to, the, to, to his death. And, of yeah. course, you know, I, I jumped over to the, to the Ed Sullivan show, but there was a lot more times. Uh, you know, it was junior, senior prom in the, uh, in the Peabody Hotel where we are now. My dad outfitted him for that. You know, the, your Louisiana Hayrides, your, your Tommy Dorsey show. So my dad was there from the beginning. Uh, uh, matter of fact, across the street, uh, at the, uh, it's, it's torn down, down now, but there was a building called the M&M Building. Uh, merchants and manufacturers. Uh, that was where the uh, selective service was. And uh, when Elvis went in the service, my dad walked over there with him when he when he signed wow. up for the for the service. So uh, so uh, there's a, there's a lot of stories. But 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 Elvis had a lot of loyal friends, and he had your back. Uh, another story is uh, you know my dad remember uh, my dad remember when Elvis uh, was so so poor. You know he uh, but when when Elvis. Um, uh, saying, uh, uh, I forgot what record was. Uh, uh, RCA uh, RCA Records gave him a, a, a car for selling a million records. It was a German Messerschmitt, and uh, uh, Elvis brought that car to my dad. Hey, Mr. Lansky, Mr. Lansky, look at this car. He was so proud of his accomplishments um, that uh, he was proud to show my dad. And my dad said, Elvis, when you're tired of that car, I want that car. And um, uh, Elvis said, okay, and, and within two weeks later, uh, Elvis traded that car off for a two-and-a-half-hour shopping spree, and uh, uh, you can listen to Elvis uh, talk about a shopping spree. It's on our website, so uh, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, so what's a, I mean, how old were you, you know, when Elvis was a young man? You had to be relatively close. I mean, what, 10 years younger, 15 years younger. So you can you remember these this era when Elvis is in the store and he's becoming fast friends? Well, I, I, I remember, you know, there's there's some photos I have of our history book. I don't know if you got a copy when you were in the store, but um, uh, there's cop there's a photo of me, a couple photos in early early Elvis, probably around '56 and '57. Uh, I vaguely remember that time, but uh, in in the early '60s, uh, he would come in the store, and uh, I, I do remember him. And of course, in the later years. Uh, uh, Early seventies, I was I was the delivery boy to the king. I used to deliver uh, his merchandise out to the out the house. You know, at that time, Elvis has gotten so famous uh, he couldn't come in the store anymore because he get mobbed. Every he was he was he was like a fish in a fishbowl. He, you know, he was yeah. he was trapped. And you know, before that, he used to come in the store. My dad would open up the store for him at midnight. And uh, but but uh, you know, later years, you know. Uh, Seventies uh, and stuff like that. He he couldn't leave Grayson because people people wanted to tear tear the tear his shirt off of him. They wanted to talk to him. They wanted his autograph. Well, let's take a break and listen to some music now. We're going to listen to music from Elvis Presley in a track that uh, Hal had picked earlier called "Suspicious Minds," and so we'll hear that, hear another track, and be back with more in our interview with Hal Lansky in just a moment. Recorded a trap. I can't walk out. 
don't go, but that's all right. That's all right. That's all right now, mama. Tell me so. You won't be bothered with me round your house no more. But that's all right. That's all right. That's all right now, mama. back with more of Pacific Street Blues. Music there from Elvis Presley from his son Records Day, a track there entitled That's All Right, Mama. And with me on the telephone today from Memphis, Tennessee, is Hal Lansky from the famous, the world, is it's world famous, right? Lansky Brothers, Clothier to the Kings. Well, maybe, maybe in our mind it is, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it is for other people. But, uh, yeah, we're known all around the world. And uh, thank, you, thank you for playing Suspicious Minds for me. Uh, uh, is, that was written by Mark James, and Mark has been, uh, been a... Um, a cusp of ours for many, many years. Every, he lives. He, he lives in Memphis. He lives in Los Angeles. He lives in Nashville, and uh, he's a great cusper. And he's also written songs for, uh, I think, "Hooked on a Feeling" by B.J. Thomas, which was recorded at the uh, American Studio in uh, in Memphis, and also uh, Elvis recorded it at the American uh, uh, Studio, also so, in Memphis. So it sounds. I mean, you're kind of embedded in the music scene in Memphis, aren't you? I mean, you're a your figure, everybody knows you that's in the music industry down there. Is that a fair Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody everybody we hear every day, you know, I wanna I wanna go to Lansky's because I wanna shop where Elvis shopped. I wanna walk on the streets that uh, that Elvis uh, Elvis walked on. I mean, if you're a musician, I mean I mean uh, um, they they come to our uh, they come to our store because they just want to. They want want to soak it all in. Uh, uh, last l- late last year, I be- uh, came. Uh, well, it's probably been longer than that. I became a uh, friend with uh, Julia Baird. Uh, do you know who she is, Rick? No, no, I don't. Anyway, that's uh, John Lennon's um, uh, uh, oh. half sister. Right. And uh, we've gotten good friends, and so we went out to dinner one night. And I, you know, I, you know, I'm fascinated with with the Beatles and asking a question, but but she's even more fascinated with Elvis. She said, you know, she said, "How? And when we grew up, we we all we listened to was Elvis Presley songs." And uh, and of course, you know, the same famous quote by her her brother John Lennon: uh, "Before Elvis, there was nothing." So uh, it was just a, it was a, gr- a beautiful evening we had, and. Uh, uh, hopefully, I'll get to go to Liverpool uh, sometime in the, in the near future. But yeah, if you're a musician, I mean, like like Bruce Bruce Springsteen when he was uh, I think 16 years old, he jumped the gates to go to Graceland. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, I don't know if you 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 saw our uh, guitar uh, collection in our store. We have a a ton of guitars, and they've all been in our stores. But one of our first guitars in 1995 was uh, signed by uh, Tom Petty, and of course. Uh, um, I knew it was coming, so uh, I happened to have a Traveling Wilburys guitar. So uh, I, he, he came in, and um, um, it's unbelievable. He was wearing a T-shirt of my dad and Elvis on it. So, so I mean, like, my God, my one of my favorite rock stars, uh, Tom Petty, is wearing a T-shirt of my dad. And I said, my dad must be really cool. <laughs> But but they all they all come in they all come in to to, to visit us. I mean it's yeah. it's just unbelievable. We're I guess we're in the right right place. We're in I guess the mecca. If you uh, love music, uh, I mean uh, all kinds of music started uh, within within miles of where we, where we're talking now. I mean you got uh, soul music, you got uh, uh, rockabilly music, you got gospel, uh, uh, rock and roll. I mean it's it's all from this from this cradle of the of the blues. I mean. Uh, I also I don't want to be a name dropper, but uh, um, uh, Robert Plant. I mean, he's he's a great customer, and he loves this area. He, you know, 
plant, uh, the stones. You know, when the, the British invasion came over, they they came over. They wanted to go to the, the, to the Delta, you know, the Mississippi Delta, where, you know, uh, all your, uh, I guess, John Lee Hooker, Muddy Waters, uh, Sunhouse, B.B. Uh, uh, King. I mean, this is this is. I mean, this is fertile grounds. This is where it all began. Absolutely. I mean, it's, if so, if you're a musician, uh, uh, you can you can pick a style and uh, you can you can read up about it and you can f- you can feel the vibe in our city. So, so growing up with all these famous people and and throughout your life, I mean, everybody's practice. I mean, if you've met Mick Jagger and you've met uh, you know uh, Elvis Presley, obviously knew very well. Right. You you've met everyone. Have you ever been starstruck? Have you ever met someone and just kind of you know, yeah, not not too much. I mean, at at the beginning when I was a younger man, yes. But you know, people ask me all the time, "Who'd you meet? Did you meet this guy? This guy?" And you know what I tell them? I said, "Once you met Elvis, once you knew Elvis, it's all downhill from there." So uh, I mean, it's I mean, it was awesome to meet uh, you know meet uh, uh, Robert Plant and Jimmy uh, Jimmy Page and uh, Mick Jagger, and I mean, they 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 all come through our through our doors through our city. It's, it's just. Uh, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that I, I'm able to keep the legacy of our company and my dad's, uh, what he started going. So hopefully the third generation will keep it, keep it going. Fourth, hopefully there'll be a fourth generation. You don't know, but, uh, but I'm, I love what I do. I love what I do. We meet people from all over the, all over the planet in our store. You know, Elvis is so powerful. It's just, just unbelievable how, how many people want to, want to come to our city. Yeah. Well, well, so speaking of Elvis, um, when I was down there, two of the guys I was with bought the Elvis wedding jacket. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm kind of looking at it on the rack, and it's a beautiful jacket. But to walk into Graceland then later that day, and there's that jacket on display, I was just, it it just kind of came, it it gave me a different perspective on kind of what you're doing. Right. Uh, where you're you're taking these fashions and, and you're keeping them alive and keeping them vibrant, but also making them available to future generations of not only fans but guys that that go on stage and perform these live. And so how do you how do you pick like I'm gonna do Elvis's wedding jacket? How do you pick that? Process? Well you just you just go for what you think you can do and uh I mean the, the Elvis wedding jacket, May first, nineteen sixty seven. Uh, he got married to Priscilla. I'll tell a little story about Priscilla in, in a minute. Uh, but last month, May, May 2017, it's it's uh, it's uh, 50 years since that jacket uh, was introduced. And you know, um, we also have the uh, Jailhouse Rock uh, sweater in our store. And in our store, we got a beautiful photo of Elvis uh, doing this dance, wearing his black and white shoes, uh, uh, wearing the sweater above that. Uh, jailhouse rock sweater and and rick you know a lot of this fashion uh, what goes around comes around if it was cool 50 years ago it's still cool now we could take that sign down off off from the ceiling underneath the jailhouse rock sweater and that sweater without the elvis connection will be a popular seller because it's classic it's just a cool sweater so we try to create uh, a lot of things uh we bring back uh uh, like the uh, the jailhouse rock sweater, we bring back uh, blue suede shoes. We sell those like crazy. Uh, we sell the uh, the uh, we call it the Hollywood jacket, but in my in my opinion, it's the most iconic coat Elvis ever wore. It's the uh, it's the stri- the white and black striped coat with a black velvet collar. That's the coat he wore in Jailhouse Rock, and of course he you'll see him wearing that a- around a lot, not only in the in the movie, but uh, uh, speedway jackets. You know your racing yeah. jackets. Uh, uh, those things are like uh, uh, unbelievable. So people people want to wear the fa- fashion because they're cool. They were cool 50 years ago. They're still cool. Well, I got to say is you probably don't recall because you know you do this day in and day out. But I bought the Hollywood jacket. Okay, you so, know, so I'm glad I, you I like I told it. You, something. it was, you were a tough sell, man. I, 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 I finally sold you some. Well, you know, <laughs> and you look good in it. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, well, Rick, I, you look better than Elvis wearing that thing. You know, now. flattery will get. Yeah, now I do. Yeah, flattery will get you everywhere. But I, I just gotta, I gotta put this in because I know my wife will be listening. But I knew what I wanted when I walked in. But my wife, you know, let's try this, let's try that, let's try this, and uh-huh. and, and you and I had had a conversation, which is this is the one I want, uh-huh. and so you kind of steered it towards that, which I thought here's a good guy, is a good man. So, so tell us about Priscilla, though. So she marries, she gets associated with Elvis in Germany. She's very young, and she uh, comes to Graceland and, and stays with Elvis. Eventually, becomes his wife, and then, as I understand it, she's the executor of the estate. 
after Elvis passed away. Right. You know, you can say what you want about Priscilla. She's a beautiful lady. She is so nice and kind. But one thing about Priscilla, she is smart as they come. If it wasn't for Priscilla, uh, she, Elvis Presley, I don't think his legacy would be anywhere close to what it is today. She is so smart. She kept it going. She reopened uh, Graceland, I think, in 1980 or 1981. The lady is a fabulous businesswoman. Uh, she is awesome. Um, but if it wasn't for her uh, keeping the legacy going, uh, uh, you know, Memphis would be a different town. We, w- we wouldn't have the tourist business we have today. Uh, uh, Elvis, uh, although he's been dead, uh, this, uh, this, uh, next, uh, in August uh, we're, we're going to be celebrating the 40th anniversary of his death. And uh, bl- believe it or not, Elvis is an industry. Uh, yeah. uh, he employs a lot of people uh, all, all over uh, America, you know, all over. But a uh, but, but, yep. uh, quick story about uh, Priscilla is every time, every time we see her, uh, well, um, we, we had a meeting with her uh, many years ago, and, and uh, she, she leased out our original store, 126 Bill, uh, Bill Street. She wanted uh, Elvis Presley's Memphis. It was the first Elvis Presley's nightclub uh, to, to, to come and exist. And, of course, they had plans for a chain of them. Of course, it never happened. But uh, in, in one of those meetings, uh, we were sitting there with her, my mom, and uh, my dad. And my dad was kidding her because uh, when she first came to Memphis when she was 14, she had a driver uh, take, her, take her down to our store, and uh, the driver brought her in. And she, she bought – well, she, she, she picked out a, a leather coat for Elvis's Christmas present – and she put three dollars on down as a railway payment. So you know, uh, you can talk about rags to riches all you want, but uh, uh, when she came over here, she was probably on some t- some type of allowance. But uh, today, she could buy buy anything she wants many times over. But yeah. yeah, she's she's a smart smart lady. So so when you do the Elvis line, do you have to negotiate with the estate to, I would imagine, use his name and image and likenesses or. We, we do, we do, we okay. do. And, of course, uh, we have our own name. Uh, uh, clothing, our, our, our official name is Lansky Brothers, but we have the, the moniker or the trademark, Clothier to the King. So we use that a lot. And, of course, you know, a lot of people say Clothier the King. There's only one king, uh, the king of rock and roll. So, uh, yeah, we own the trademarks for Clothier to the King. Now, now, so one of the things that's interesting about Beale Street is every time, or not Beale Street, but Memphis is, Kind of almost every time you turn a corner downstairs, you you see a landmark site, and just down the road from your shop in the shops in the Peabody is the radio station where I believe BB King began. Well, BB King and Johnny Cash started there too, Rick. Okay. It's uh, um, W uh, W uh, uh, W O K was the uh, the uh, urban radio. Is um, hang on just a second. WHBQ. No, okay. no, hang on a second. Um, man, I'm having a, a brain freeze here. But anyway, it was. Uh, uh, it's been it's been a lot of uh, stations since then. Okay. But yeah, but BB King stayed there when BB King was there. It was WDIA. Okay. But before before BB King, I think there was another name. Uh, um, uh, no, um, uh, whatever. But yeah, yeah. Johnny uh, Johnny Cash was there. Uh, I think before BB King. Okay. Okay. So so. I heard a great story. I'd love to have you tell it about how when Johnny Cash before he's well known. He's supposed to open for Elvis at the Levitt Shell, and uh, he came to the store to buy some clothes and something to do the effect of, I'll buy black clothes. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a, a couple stories about Johnny Cash. Of course, okay. Johnny and, uh, you know, Johnny Cash and Elvis and all, all of them, they hung out together, of course, at, uh, you know, on Bill Street. Bill Street, they, they were drawn to Bill Street because it was a color, colorful street. I uh, had, a, had a good karma to it, but... Uh, um, one day, uh, Johnny Cash came into the store. He said, "Mr. Lansky, Mr. Lansky, I want an outfit just like this man that was wearing." So he, uh, Johnny, uh, showed my dad a Prince Albert tobacco can. I don't know if you're familiar with a of Prince course. Albert tobacco can. Yes. But you got this this English fellow on it wearing a black cutaway suit, and he he said, "Mr. Lansky, I want a I want a suit just like this. I want to I want to be be a 
be looking like this guy. So my dad said, said, Johnny, hang on a second, hang on a second. So at that time, we had tuxedo rentals upstairs on the second floor. So my dad went up there and he found this, uh, it was kind of like a stroller coat or a, a, a morning coat. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're to really formal parties and stuff, you wear these coats and stuff. So uh, he brought it down and he said, Johnny, what do you think about this? He said, Mr. Lansky, Mr. Lansky, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So in a roundabout way, we like to take credit for the man in black. But, okay. uh, but, uh, uh, but uh, Johnny shot with us. Johnny Cash's uh, uh, wife shot with us. June Carter Cash. She loved to wear men's uh, button-down uh, Oxford cloth uh, dress shirts. So uh, anyway, uh, if y'all are uh, if you are on uh, YouTube and you uh, look up uh, uh, Johnny Cash's uh, rock and roll. Uh, Hall of Fame acceptance speech. Uh, I think about the four minute and twenty mark. I, I could be wrong, but somewhere in the four minute mark, he, uh, Johnny Cash gives us a shout out uh, during his speech about Lansky Brothers on Famous Bill Street, where they had all those shiny clothes at. So uh, that's pretty cool. He was he talked to us when he was accepting his uh, Rock wow. and Roll Hall of Fame uh, award. That's got to be very very neat. You know, the the man in black. Right. So, so let's hear some music here. We're going to play a track from Johnny Cash called "The Man in Black," and then also uh, "The Thrill Is Gone" from the great BB King. Music for you right here, right now on Pacific Street Blues. Well, you wonder why I always dress in black. Why you never see bright colors on my back. And why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone? Well, there's a reason for the things that I have on. I wear the black for the poor and the beaten down. Living in the hopeless, hungry side of town. I wear it for the prisoner who has long paid for his crime, but is there because he's a victim of the time. I wear the black for those who've never read Or listened to the words that Jesus said About the road to happiness through love and charity Why you think he's talking straight to you and me Well, we're doing mighty fine, I do suppose In our streak of lightning cars and fancy clothes but just so we're reminded of the ones who are held back Up front there ought to be a man in black I wear it for the sick and lonely old For the reckless ones whose bad trip left them cold I wear the black in mourning for the lives that could have been Each week we lose a hundred fine young men and I wear it for the thousands who have died Believing that the Lord was on their side I wear it for another hundred thousand who have died Believing that we all were on their side Well, there's things that never will be right, I know And things need changing everywhere you go but till we start to make a move to make a few things right You'll never see me wear a suit of white Oh, I'd love to wear a rainbow every day And tell the world that everything's okay But I'll try to carry off a little darkness on my back Till things are brighter, I'm the man in black
And we're back with more of Pacific Street Blues. With me on the telephone is the legendary Hal Lansky from the Lansky Brothers Clothing Store down in Memphis, Tennessee. This is a guy that grew up in the middle of rock and roll. He knows everyone out of Memphis, and anybody that pays attention closely to the music industry knows that Memphis is the heart of the American music sound. And so uh, kind of talking a little bit about the history of Memphis, of course, one of the most famous, and there's quite a few famous uh, recording studios in Memphis or record labels, but one of the most famous is Sun Records. And uh, of course, founded by Sam Phillips in an old car garage studio, or a, a, a mechanic shop, as I understand from the tour. And and so what was it like growing up? You know, Elvis is on uh, Sun Records, Charlie Rich, Roy Orbison. Are all these guys coming through the store? Yes, Rick. All, all of them came through. Uh, uh, Charlie Rich, as a matter of fact, his uh, son was in uh, son was in the store uh, not too long ago, and he, he re- reissued a new a new album, Charlie Rich, and he plays all his songs that his dead dead made famous. Uh, but yeah, they, all of them uh, all of them were in there. Sonny Burgess. Uh, the list just goes goes on and on. But yeah, they all they all shocked with us. So so did you feel, you know, so from the outside world, of course. They're making history. They're making they're a huge influence on the way that the the entire Western world looks at music. But in Memphis, that's just Charlie. I mean, were you guys like aware of how influential Sun Records was at the time when it was putting these records out? You know, Rick, there's a saying. I don't know if it's a Greek saying or a Greek mythology or whatever you call it. A man has no valor in his own country. You know that that goes goes everybody. You know. Nobody knew really what they were doing. Uh, it just—it was just a, an era back there. Everybody was just every—everybody was just uh, doing their thing. And uh, you know, of course, like I told you about my dad. You know, we we all paid our dues. You know, BB King, you know, all of them. After after you 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 do it year and year and year, you year in and year out, you 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 get credit for what you've done. But back back then in the in the you know sixties and. Uh, Fifties and sixties. Uh, no, not it wasn't. Nobody really knew what anybody was doing. It just, it just. Uh, I guess it just finally took hold, and uh, people were going crazy about them. Of course, this. I'm talking, you know, last twenty, twenty-five years. So, when, when it was going on, it was just, it was just another day in the neighborhood. Well, one of my favorite uh, kind of Booker T and the MG stories is, uh, of course, uh, the guys from Stax Records go to tour Europe, and they land in London. And uh, the way Steve Cropper uh, tells the story, of course, in Booker T and the MGs, is they had no idea that Europe was fawning over them so much. And so they get off the plane, and there's limousines that the Beatles, of all people, had sent for them to to go from the airport to their hotel. And and, uh, the way Steve Cropper tells it is, you know, they're holed up in the studio, and they're making records day in and day out, and they go to England, and it's like Beatlemania. And he's... You know, kind of talks about how he just couldn't reconcile. Like, what are these people all excited about? <laughs> I, guess, I guess it was the Memphis music. Yeah, uh, you know, Steve Cropper, uh, Booker T and the MGs. Uh, Steve's sons uh, worked for us in, in, our, in, the, in the store, but uh, uh, they they all shopped with us. Uh, uh, Al Jackson, you know, they well, they call him the, the human uh, heartbeat or whatever. He was awesome. Uh, you know, they they were all in our store. You know, they were you know they had a gig. We we uh, my dad fixed fixed them up and. Uh, yeah, they they all all came through the store. They uh, they all shop with us. So when so when you guys are so when they're coming through the store and and I and I I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm kind of asking the same question again. I apologize, but you know it just has to be overwhelming or impressive that on the one hand, you know, here's your buddy, you know, Isaac Hayes or a guy that you know, uh-huh. a customer. And then you go get in your car, and there he is on the radio. Or there's the music that he wrote is being played on the radio. And and uh, did I don't know? I it just it's astonishing that so much talent ends up in one city at, at the same time. You know, it, you know, we, you know, it was it's kind of amazing when you even today when you hear him hear him on the radio and you think, ah, they came from Memphis. But back then it was just just they were just regular guys. Uh, you mentioned Isaac Hayes, uh, single writing the the. Uh, songwriting team of uh, Hayes and David Porter, uh, you know, they both were poor. They, uh, a quick Isaac Hayes uh, story is uh, when, when he first met my dad, uh, he, my dad tells the story. He came in, and Isaac, is, he was so poor, his shoes were t- are tied together with wire. Uh, that's how poor he was. And then here again, just like Elvis, when, when like I told you the story about Elvis, when he, he got the uh, 
got the car for selling a million uh, records, uh, right. uh, million records uh, to R- for RCA. Isaac Hayes did the same thing. He he uh, won a, 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 an Oscar for the uh, in 1972 for the uh, th- theme song Shaft. Um, it, it was unbelievable. He came in. He got you know in the 70s. Everybody thought they were pimps, and uh, he had the he had the pimp mobile. He, he he came in, showed my dad. He was so proud of that car. He was in inside the car inside the store, turning the uh, car on and off from inside the store, and uh, he was so proud. He even had a refrigerator in the back seat, and uh, that car now is at the uh, Stacks uh, Stacks Museum. But but all those guys were were just so so. Uh, so glad that they made it, they, and they they sh- shared their success with my dad. But yeah. uh, um, you know, in, in the seventies, um, uh, it's a decade of fashion uh, we weren't too proud of. Is uh, everybody thought they were pimps? You know, you had the uh, the Shaft movie, you had the uh, uh, um, you know the uh, I guess the uh, black black ex- exploitation movies. Yeah. Uh, all the uh, private eyes and, and uh, Curtis Mayfield in the seventies. Everybody thought they were pimps standing out on the corners. We had we were probably the only men's store in America that had a full time furrier putting mink collars and mink hats, uh, uh, trimmed up the hats uh, for for our customers. It, and like I said, it's uh, you know we we sold those high heel shoes. Uh, I will tell you a quick story in the in the seventies. Um, I was uh, waiting on a customer, and this is the same area era. And uh, this guy goes over to the shoe department. He says, uh, "He says, um, uh, I want those shoes. I want to try them on." So uh, we uh, we tried them on. These, these were, you know, what you call Miami. They were called Miami Stompers back then, Rick. They were really tall. So he said, "I'll take these. I'll take these." And he said, "I want a leather jacket." So he he went over he went over there and he uh, he tried on a leather uh, a jacket and then. And then he turned around. Oh my God! He put a gun on me. So uh, the wow. guy, the guy started uh, running out the store. My my dad, my mom said, "Stop him! Stop him!" I said, "No!" I said, "Let him go. He's got a gun." And uh, I said, "Call the police. Tell him he's he's wearing a ten-inch high shoes and wearing an orange leather coat." And uh, they called him a couple a uh, couple blocks away because he's wearing that. He couldn't run in those high heel shoes, and he had an orange coat on. Wow. But that was a like I said, that's a decade of fashion we weren't too happy of. <laughs> well, you've got uh, tell us about the uh, Elvis coat from that period hanging on the wall with the collar. Yeah. Well, he, uh, here again, um, it, he brought that coat back, uh, and, and of course he never picked it up. But uh, he uh, he uh, he split the back of it. But uh, that coat is probably. Uh, one of eight. He had a lot of different colors. You know, if, he, if Elvis liked something, he would buy it in every color. He'd buy two or three different ones for his buddies. Or if somebody was shopping in a store, hey, Elvis, I like that. Uh, he he would buy something for him. But uh, an- another quick story. Uh, one day I went out to the mansion, and uh, you know, this is uh, like seventy. So I was, uh, you know, probably uh, I was uh, early uh, early twenties, maybe uh, maybe late teens, but early twenties. I was driving, so I. T- I took the, I took a car full of stuff out to him, and uh, uh, so um, I pulled up. And of course, when you're when you're a kid and you're at, you're going out over to Elvis's house by yourself, you you kind of you kind of say, "Whoa, my God, this is unbelievable!" So uh, it, I got to the front door, and it seemed like the door just opened up magically by itself. And um, and then uh, all of a sudden, I, I walked in the in the, uh, in the hallway in the, in the of the house, the, the lobby at the bottom of the steps. The next thing I knew. Oh my God! It was Elvis walking down the steps. He was wearing a, a beautiful uh, uh, bathrobe, um, and he was he he had his hand in his pocket, like uh, he he had a gun in his pocket in his pocket. And uh, so it, you know, every step he took down the steps is like a, you know, eternity. You know, like yeah. like watching one of these movies. It's, it's, it, it's, I thought it took him about two hours to get down the steps. So <laughs> so uh, he got down the steps and. Uh, he was he was so he was so happy to see me. He was like a kid on Christmas. He started putting on those uh, pimp hats and putting on those long coats. And uh, he, um, if you walk, if you're familiar with Grayson, when you walk in the front foyer, uh, to the left is the the dining room. So he put his stuff on, and uh, he, he he walked in the dining room, and then he swung open he swung open the doors to the kitchen, and he said, "Hey, look at me! I'm." And Rick, if I tell you the if I tell you the rest of the story, I'll have to kill you. <laughs> You can't stop there. Yeah, but I can't. It's an off color, color, oh, okay. uh, color of saying, so I, I don't want to say it. But uh, he, he was he was wild. He loved those clothes. 
So, so you were impressed by Elvis, even though you kind of grew up with him in your sphere of influence. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it was Elvis. You know, back back then when when I was really delivering to him, or in later years, I mean, he was. You know, this is this is uh, the seventies. I mean, he's already had his '68 comeback concert, and uh, he was he was back on a roll again. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So so. Let's talk a little bit more about Sun Records. That's where I was supposed to take you, but <laughs> I kind of got sidetracked by all these other stories. But uh, uh, you've got then uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and Carl Perkins and and uh, you know BB King recorded on Sun. Right, Rufus right. Thomas and and so what did you ever meet Sam Phillips? I, I do, I, di- I did. And uh, matter of fact, I'm uh, good friends with his uh, two sons, uh, Knox and Jerry. They're they're uh, awesome people, and uh, his. Um, Jerry Knox's daughter is uh, uh, Haley's also in the uh, business too. So her and my daughter kind of kind of can relate because they do both had uh, famous grandfathers. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, no, I know him well, and uh, I didn't know Sam real well, but uh, uh, but the sons are more my contemporaries. Okay. And and so did did you? Uh, what was high, I mean in your high school era? Because um, I'm in my mind, I'm kind of imagining you might be close in age to uh, Booker T. Jones and those guys. I know they're they're older than I am. Oh, okay, okay. So, oh, but I, but uh, I know they're older than I am. But you know, in my generation, although we uh, we we, if you're from Memphis, you love Elvis and uh, the, the Stax music and the Sun Records music and the uh, Royal Studio, where a lot of Al Green uh, hits came from. But uh, you know, we, you know, we had the we had the uh, British Invasion coming in uh, in, in the '62 '60s. So that was that was uh, there was a lot of music going on about that time. Okay, and and were the kids in Memphis when you were growing up, like in the high school period? Were they more interested in the Beatles and the Stones, or were they kind of aware of of the Stax Records? What was going on over there? On uh, what is it? Uh, what street is that? Macklemore. Macklemore, right? Yeah, uh, Macklemore. Yes. I mean, uh, were, were they aware of you know the Beatles or loving the music coming out of Stax Records as much as the kids were loving the Beatles? Or I, in, my, in my generation, I hate to, I hate to say we were we were uh, Stones and Beatles fans, but uh, but we we knew what was coming out. You know, we had a lot of we had a lot of uh, garage bands in our city, so uh, it was a, it was a lot of a lot of good music coming out of Memphis, and and then you know nationally with the Beatles and the Stones and Dave Clark Five. Yeah, yep. so you get it. Okay, so Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, the killer, as they say. Of course, uh, his he's got two famous com- cousins, right? Jimmy Swaggart and uh, Mickey Gilly. Right. And Jerry uh, Lee Lewis, they're all cousins. So, I mean, were they in Memphis at that time then too, as well, or? I don't. I don't remember his cousins, but uh, you know Jerry Lee was a was a kind of a, a rogue guy, and 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 Jerry Lee, uh, he's 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 the last man standing, Rick. Um, you know he's still sitting around town. He still has a, a club on Bill Street. Uh, sometimes he'll play there, but uh, uh, he, he was uh, Jerry Lee was a rogue. He he, he did come to our stores and shopped, uh, but I guess he he was he you know he was kind of under the influence of of Elvis. You know he never could get get out from the influence of Elvis had you know that. He was, Elvis was number one, and he was number two, trying to be number one. Right. I mean, you always hear the famous stories of uh, Jerry Lee trying to uh, uh, crash crash the gates at Graceland, you know, to, to get to get at uh, yeah. Elvis. So, uh, yeah, but Jerry, Jerry Lee, uh, I mean, they all they all came out of Memphis, and uh, I mean, it's I mean, you, you, we used to go to clubs, and he'd, he'd play there, and uh, uh, we still. Still see him around. You know, he still still has concerts in the area. Okay, all right. Well, let's hear some music. Uh, these are two people uh, famous for being on the Sun record label. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, whole lot of shaking going on. Of course, everybody's going to know that track. And then uh, Rufus Thomas uh, and his track "Walking the Dog," which of course is going to be later covered by the Rolling Stones, and then Aerosmith, which is interesting. So, uh, music from Jerry Lee Lewis and uh, Rufus <laughs> Thomas for you, right here on Pacific Street Blues. Shake it, baby, shake it, shake it, baby, 
got chicken in the barn Who's born, what's born, my born Every lead got the bull by the horn Never did fake I love to hang it in all night long Easy, baby Easy, honey All you gotta do is just stand it in one little spot I love to watch you wiggle it around just a little bit, baby That's when you got something you ain't got something to then you might as well just hang it up Cause I know from the past You ain't gonna get nothing, you ain't gonna get it but then, baby Woo! Walking bird dog. 